Perez. Walter makes a run ahead of it. Burkamp suddenly changed pace through the centre. It's Burkamp! That's magnificent! The move, and then this, which left Dabby's ass totally stranded. Hello, and welcome to a Burkamp Monday, the Arsenal podcast. You know my name, my name is Carl, and with me today I have a Barry, sorry, a merry band of merry men. Um, first of all, I will introduce the man who has to be here because it's his podcast. It's Danny the GFP. Hello. Afternoon, Governor. How you doing? You're looking lovely today. You, your beard's you got a little bit of grey in the beard, and the ladies love that, apparently. They do, apparently. They uh, love a little bit of grey in the beard. Uh, it's annoying me because it just means I'm getting older. No one, wants, no one wants to get older, but here we are. True. How are you, Danny? How are you uh, after Saturday? Did you watch the game? Was you up in time? I wake up and watch it in bed. Um, yes, I had to change the channel a couple of times. Ended up watching it with Richard Keys and uh, the other bloke's channel, Being Sports, very good coverage. Enjoyed it. And uh, at no point did I think we weren't going to win this. That is quite some statement from someone like me who is, I mean, admittedly in life, I always think the glass is always half full rather than half empty. But uh, even during my pod notes, I mean, for the, for the post-game show with me and Dee, I was saying that uh, I always thought we were going to win it. I didn't think we'd win it like that, and maybe it was a blind optimism. But yeah, I, I was behind the team the whole time. At no point did I go, oh, "What are you doing? F this!" or throw a cat at the telly. No, I was delighted, and what a way to win it! Just a performance of champions, Carl. Uh, indeed, indeed. Um, introducing next the man who was in the ground when that happened. So I've, I can't wait to hear his thoughts. Uh, Femi, how you doing, sir? Yeah, I'm good. Good. Still recovering. To be fair, I'll be honest with you, my voice, my throat was hurting for two days. I was like, no, what is going on here? Yeah, it was uh, quite an experience, actually, to be there. And Danny, you said that you 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 <laughs> you, you you always believe. I'm gonna, I was, you just remind me, actually, I'm going to text my friend because he, he brought his brother on Saturday. And as soon as the second goal went in, he just got up and left. Oh, no. Seriously. <laughs> he was so annoyed. He just got off and left. <laughs> I'm going to text him and say, well, how does your brother feel? <laughs> Did you meet Jock at the game? Because Jock was there, wasn't he? He was sitting totally somewhere else to me. Totally He's got a little somewhere. picture of, of, our, of our jockey walkie. There he is. <laughs> All five foot two of him. So, uh, yeah, brilliant. Was it yeah, amazing, think... then, the atmosphere? Oh been. yeah, yeah, definitely. Were you there, Carl? No, 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 no. I was at work. He was at work. Yeah, <laughs> definitely amazing. Definitely, like it was an experience. I'm not going to lie to you. It was absolute, just crazy scenes. People staying for like 20 minutes, just in disbelief, just going, "Wow, wow, wow!" Just it was a <laughs> crazy experience. Um, yeah, no, it was. It was. Mate, you know what? It's it's what we love football for, man. Like, if you don't like moments like that, then there's no point in watching football. To be honest with you, 
Sure. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong, Dave. Um, okay, quickly, we'll just go over the, the team lineup. I mean, um, it was good to see Thomas Partey come back in, and obviously, it was good um, to see a little rotation. We saw Vieira come in for Granite Xhaka, and we saw Tommy Yasu come in <laughs> for Ben White. Um, and up front, we still remain because Eddie was still injured. So we had Leandro Trossard play kind of a false nine uh, interchange with Martellini. Um, Danny, that lineup, you, you look at that and you think that's enough to deal with Bournemouth. Did you have any worries when you saw the lineup? I do wonder why he keeps dropping Ben White and, and bringing in Tommy Asher. That's two games in a row he's done now. And both games, uh, Tommy has had a really bad time one against Man City and one against us. And although Tommy Ashley was a really good right back for us last season, and we, 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 when we didn't have him, we really missed him because I think we only who was our backup? I can't even remember. No idea. But when we didn't have him, we were like, oh no, we need to get Tommy back as quick as possible because he's so um, attacking down the right wing. He's, he's, he can use either foot. He can cover in any position. <clears throat> but he's had a he's had a really bad run of games recently, and to get pulled off at half time. I mean, I know that. Um, Jorginho got pulled off at half-time in the game before, but that was because he was ill. He had the shits. But for him, for your right-back to get pulled off, that just for me, that's just another nail in the, the coffin of, of Tommy Ashu. Remember in the, the uh, transfer window, we were looking for that young Spanish right-back. I don't think... I mean, you remember we brought Pablo Mari in, and we thought, oh, here we go. He's half-decent centre-back. And then uh, Arteta's got him in, used him, and chucked him out. He's very quick to do that with players, so I'm a little bit worried about Tommy because... Um, it wasn't good, but is that a case of if you bring a player in that has such a demanding position, you can't really bring someone in from the cold, especially against Man City and go, you've not played for four or five games, here you go, and then drops him again, and then brings him in again. I don't think you can do that in, in Premier League football, can you? I think that's the problem. I think for all Arteta's good points, I think some of his bad points, he doesn't play, the rotation is not quite there. I mean... The same could be probably said for Lokonga. I mean, I think it was really harsh on Lokonga to sit out for like seven, eight, nine games and then just throw him in a game and expect him to be good. That doesn't happen. You can't do that. When you haven't done something for so long, like a game like professional football, you can't just throw someone in and expect them just to play well. Like it doesn't work like that. And Tommy Asu has made a couple of cameo appearances here and there, but... I'm not worried about his form because I just feel like he probably just needs to play a little bit more. And once he does play a little bit more, because obviously Europa League games are coming up, I think that you will probably see, you know, Tom Yasu play back to his um, best. And you're forgetting that Ben White is kind of um, the team play how Ben White, you know, he adapt, they adapt to every single player on that team because they're just a gelled unit, you know, he uses the same 11 all the time, so they know how to play. When yeah. you throw someone in, it's kind of hard to adapt. Same like Kieran Tierney's situation, you know, when you just throw someone like that in, it's really, really hard. So, I'm not worried about Tommy Yassi. I think he'll he'll come good, definitely, um, because you can almost guarantee he's going to play against uh, Sporting on Thursday, which we'll talk about later. But, yeah, I think... Him coming off at half time, we just need to change something, and I think that was it. I mean, he had caught been caught in possession a few times in the first half, and you know, Ben White is just he, he just comes in and he adapts to the team and how they play. So, I'm not really no, I'm not that worried about uh 
him. What about you, Femi? Are you worried about Tommy Essie's form? Um, half and half. But I think what we've got to remember is what he was injured uh, around December last year. He's probably played less than 20 games total in the last one year, if you think about it, because he came back towards the end of last season, played a couple of games. He was kind of in and out, kind of started a couple. but And then this season, he's barely played. He was injured at the start of the season, got injured just before the World Cup again, was in and out of the World Cup team. So I, I, I probably would count that he's probably made 20 appearances and that's not starts since the December last year. So you're right. He probably just, he needs a run of games and it's quite difficult to get a run of games when you're kind of winning as well. Um, and then when what happens is if you, like I said, chop them in one, I mean, if you chop them in one by one, you can get, you know, a hairy performance basically here and there. Now, the problem is if you chuck them all in that have not, not been playing, you get those disjointed performances that we see sometimes, like the away, uh, you know, we see those disjointed performances from the backups because they haven't played for so long. I, I really wonder what what it is. What's interesting is actually just being at the ground on Saturday, if you stay quite late, you see the, that they do a training session after the after everyone's gone home basically that's why you i think people saw pictures of gabriel jesus doing a training session and stuff like that now what that actually tells you is these footballers are like so finely tuned athletes that where we think they need time off they need to train every day basically a day off is not in the, in the questions for for majority of these guys that's why sometimes managers say yeah we'll have a day off it's like a big thing they need to be training and constantly playing and and match fitness. And where we don't have reserve football anymore, there's nowhere for these guys to play, really. So they just get chucked in straight into first team. And no. as you can see, every game that we're playing now is, is like a cup final. And it, you just you don't have time to, to settle in. You just have to be on it straight away. I mean, yeah, you're not wrong there. I mean, <clears throat> we'll talk about the first goal. It was nine seconds in. I'll stick with you, Femi. Was you even in your seat uh, when the first goal went in? <laughs> uh, funniest thing, I got in late. I don't usually get in late, but I got in late because I had to abandon my car halfway through the journey and jump on the underground. And I got in just as kickoff went off and I was saying hello to people standing up just as the goal went in. <laughs> now, you can imagine the people behind me were pissed off at half-time. They were like, oh, yeah, we didn't even see the goal. We just saw the back of your head. <laughs> That's how crazy it was. I was like, no, that didn't just happen. This It just seemed impossible. I didn't even see the goal till I got home. I'm not going to lie to you. It just seemed like this is impossible that something like this could happen. And it's like, we just totally switched off. To be fair, it was a, when you look back at it, it was actually a... A good routine basically they sucked us all up usually what teams do is isn't they 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 put all their players on one side and then you put all your players on one side they kick off kick it back to the keeper and he just launches it long what they did was they split half their teams on both sides basically so we didn't know which way to go and zinchenko was like half asleep basically and they just played like two passes and because we were so split on both sides. Uh, to be fair, I've never seen a team do that before. It was a, quite a, a funny routine to be to set up, and we just got absolutely caught cold. To be honest with you, 
Yeah, it, it was really, really weird. I mean, um, I sort of turned the game on because um, found the game on some service. You don't need to know where. Um, and <laughs> you've seen the setup. And I saw sort of them kick off and... You kind of, I was doing something and I kind of looked up and I had my ear pod in um, <laughs> and all I heard was, it's a goal. So in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, we've scored because I just automatically think, <laughs> you know, we heard it's a goal, the commentator says it's a goal. And I looked up and I saw black shirts running off and I was like, wait, what? And I was like, what happened there? Then I saw it, I was like, oh my God, what happened there? It was just, it was so surreal, like just seeing it because it was so early as well. And you're like, what happened now? I do think we kind of... If there's ever a case of you score too early, that was it. And I think even just watching it, it was just really weird because no one expected... After nine seconds, you don't expect that to happen. No way. And you just like... I think everybody, even in... Femi, you could probably attune to this. I think everybody was in disbelief. Like, I'm sure the ground probably went silent. And then obviously, you know, it's the whole, come on, guys, we can get into this. And... After that, I think after the goal went in, I'm not going to say that we totally dominated the game because Bournemouth had some chances that I feel that if they had put them away, there was one chance that just became offside and there was another chance where Aaron Ramsdale made a good save. And, you know, it's not like we totally dominated that first half, but it was almost as if we were a bit shell-shocked. Did you feel that, Danny, like watching the game that... Arsenal were just a little, just a little bit shell shocked because we just couldn't even just grow into the game because we were scared of the Bournemouth counter attack. It was a bit weird. Um, before I mention that, the uh, I turned it on the stream and then for the first, um, as soon as this game started, my stream went wonky. So I went and found another one, and then by the time I found the other one, it was about two minutes into the game, and I'm watching it and I'm thinking, oh, all right, we're playing all right, and I look at the screen and went. It's one nil. How did that? So when I was changing channels, that obviously happened and very annoying. But people are saying in the chat that um, the three players on the Bournemouth side are in, uh, in our half on the left-hand side of the pitch when we kicked off. So I'd imagine that our players were looking at those. And maybe that was the tactics. You three go forward as soon as kickoff, just before kickoff starts. All the Arsenal players are going to look at you and then we make a run down the right-hand side while you lot distract them on the left-hand side. And it just weren't ready. You, you don't expect that kind of stuff. I mean, hell of, a, hell of a goal. But, yeah, after that, it was what, 80 90% Arsenal most of the time. And then uh, and then, then Ramsdale. People were saying who was the man of the match, which we'll come to later. But, yeah, my man of the match would have been Ramsdale because without him, we'd have been four, three or four nil down at one point. Absolutely shocking from us. It's like we had, had no idea what we were doing. And um, I don't know if it's because you expect to go. I mean, I predicted a 7-0 win for us because Bournemouth are rubbish. But bloody hell, they played really well and good tactical stuff by their manager. Yeah, I think so. This is one. Do you really think they played well, though? I mean, they had a couple of chances, but that's mainly due to our panic, basically, which we've been doing in a few games recently. I don't know what's happened to our... I mean, our defenders are playing well, but we seem to just panic any time the ball is in transition at the moment. I don't know what that's about. But we played... I mean, we didn't create a lot of chances, but I said I've never... I mean, there's a few teams I've done it now where teams are just basically defending inside their area. 
and all we kept doing was just crossing the ball a hundred times. We needed Giroud, didn't we? What the hell is going on? We just crossed the ball, crossed the ball. Well, it's the 5 I, one isn't it? They all come <laughs> here and do it. And yeah, the low block. But, yeah, but then why were we... Cons- I, I, I get why we're crossing the ball, but it's the type of crosses we were putting in. It, the crosses were just basically going in the six-yard area where they had about five players in there, and we had like maybe one sometimes. And they had like all their big players in there, and they just—I don't know what we were doing. To be honest with you, in that I—I—I I, I got to the stage where I was like, "Well, if we're just going to keep crossing the ball, we might as well bring Tierney on to at least put in de- decent crosses if that's the game plan." But I can, yeah, we—we we just didn't have the inventiveness in that first half. But you're—you're you're right. When teams are breaking against us at the moment, we do need to kind of sort that out because. Even against Everton, Everton were absolutely terrible. But in that first 40 minutes, they did have a couple of breakaways as well. And I, I remember Gabriel making a fantastic tackle in, in that game as well, where we just we just got to be very, very careful of that at the moment. I think I it's think a case a of, of that tackle. I think it's a case of we just can't... The problem is, is that if teams are defending their six-yard box and they have... There are four or five defenders in the box are covering the whole of probably the 18-yard box. And then you have the other four midfielders, however way you are, they're compact and they're covering, say, like the 18-yard box. It's very hard to go through the middle because it's so compact. So unless you start taking pop shots, which Arsenal aren't very good at, and they start going high, wide and handsome and it's very hard to go down the middle and I don't think you can do that. So you have to try and, you're trying to cross the board to see if you can get like a flick on or something like that. And that, I just think we run out of ideas because it's really, <laughs> teams come to Arsenal to just do the low block. And I think my worst fear, and I said this to someone at work, is if Bournemouth score first, they're not, that's it. That is it. They're going to time waste. And that's something we're talking about in the second time okay, waste. But, um, they're, all they're going to do is just sit back and do nothing. And they did, and they scored, and that was it. Um, although they had some chances, like um, we was alluded to, they weren't trying to play football. It was a case of, right, we've got our 1-0 lead. We're going to try and sit back now and just hope that we uh, can protect this lead. And that's what they kind of did. And, you know, we, we went in at the break, and I was kind of... I was fuming because I felt like we had chances that we just didn't take. And the problem was with Arsenal, as everyone knows, is when we don't take our chances, like you, sometimes you tend to see the heads go down. But this team's dip, a little bit different because, you know, we'll, we'll make a chance or we'll, you know, we'll hit it wide, we'll hit it long, we'll do whatever. And, you know, you can see them trying to pump the, the crowd up or trying to see, okay, look, we didn't get that. Let's go again, let's go again, let's go again. This game, I felt, there were some of our passes that I don't know if you saw it in the game for me, like we were there. I think our passing weren't as accurate. And I don't know why, because I would have thought that Vieira being on the pitch, would you consider him being a better passer than Granit Xhaka? Probably because he's got that more attacking mentality. And I don't think that Vieira being on the pitch is the only reason why we went 2 0 down. But do you feel that if Granit Xhaka was on that pitch, that you know, we go to no down to Bournemouth. Yeah, uh, you know what? While you're talking, I remembered that someone put the stats of the first half. It was Danny actually put it in the the group that we're in. 
Oh, there you go. He just, he just brought it off as well. That's what, exactly what I was looking at. Look at the stats for the first half. And I'm looking at the passes one, especially 391 passes to 66. But Bournemouth literally could put string two passes together. And the shots as well. If you have 14 shots, seven on seven, basically three on target, four on target. That means there was another seven that was just blocked shots, wasn't there? Now, it's so weird that and nine corners as well. It was like, this is how every team is playing against us at the moment. Now, what you're saying about Vieira is we think we kind of think, okay, is Vieira the key to unlocking this kind of deep block as well? But he does well up to a certain point, but he, he holds onto the ball quite a lot. And unless he's got like a, a good through ball, he's not he doesn't release it quite forward. I remember the game he played against Man City. Um, he spent half the game facing towards our own goal, like, and passing backwards towards our own goal. And I really wondered what that was about. That day he played on the right side of the um, attacking midfield. This this day he played on the left. And I think Jack has been a little bit struggling recently because we kind of needed something different in there, but maybe it's that same thing again where Vieira needs a couple of games to get up to, to speed. I would expect him to play on Thursday as well. Um, but Xhaka is he's deceptively important, but he's just gone off the boil attacking-wise a little bit, as in when he gets near the box at the moment, the ball seems to be attracted to him a lot and he just doesn't make the right pass that last, he hasn't been shooting a lot. He hasn't did that against had Man a, City, didn't he? Got to the edge yeah, of the box he hasn't, twice. He hasn't had a goal and assist for quite a while. And obviously, he, I mean, Arteta, I remember in that interview with Jamie Carragher, did say that he demanded a lot from that position, goals and assists. So that's probably why we've been seeing him getting subbed a lot more than he ever did. I mean, Jack is a 90 minute man, and recently he's been getting a lot of taken out of the firing line a lot, about 60, 70 minutes for Vieira. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, yeah, um, we went in at half-time and, you know, everyone's unhappy. I'm not happy at work. Danny's unhappy in his bed. Probably took the chat bait and, uh, you know, give give himself 15 minutes to come back. And then, um, you know, the second half comes on and then you see Tommy Yasu get subbed for Ben White, which I felt that was needed. And of course sort of said it at work that I would like to see Ben White come on the pitch. And I think obviously Arteta saw it and thought is that kind of same thing. And then, so we're playing in the first half, second half, sorry. And we're going along and then Bournemouth get a corner and you're thinking, all right, their first, I think it was their first corner, I believe. And you're thinking, all right, we get it out because we've been okay. We've set pieces um, so far this season and then we concede <laughs> from a corner. And you're like, hold on a second, 2-0 at home to Bournemouth. I'm not going to lie. I kind of lost it at work. <laughs> I'll be very honest. I was I was, I was, was not happy because I was slamming stuff. And like, even in my office, they're like looking at me like I'm stupid. I'm just like, this is absolutely ridiculous because 2-0 down to one of the worst teams in the league, you know, no one's happy about that. I mean... In the ground, Femi, what was it like? Was did everyone moan? Was everyone just like, like you said, your your friend who came with his brother just left the ground? Did you see a lot of people leave after that? 
No, 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 no. It's, all, it's a one-man army. <laughs> I don't know what was wrong with you. Look, I'm going to ping the, his brother now, actually, and say, what happened to your brother? He was fuming. What, but what minute a, did he leave on? As soon as the goal went in. Literally, the goal went in. He got up. He said, Which, which goal? Our, our winner? The second goal. The corner. The corner that they scored from. Oh, so two 0 down. Yeah, he went. He's oh, got up. Shit. He I said, I've had enough of this. No, no, no. He got up at two 0 down. No, no, no. Two 0 down. He was out. Soon as the goal, literally, as soon as the goal He's went in, he history. was out. Yeah, yeah, he must be fuming. <laughs> um, I don't think there was. I mean, to be fair, I don't know. Around me, there was not really. I mean, there was one person that got up and it was like, "Come on, come on, get behind the team," you know. I think usually when we go a goal down, you know, the fans just make noise, cheer, try and get it. But this one was a bit of a shot. It was just like disbelief. This was like their first corner. They've hardly been up the pitch. It was like one free kick, one corner, bang, goal. And you could see that as soon as, the, I swear to you, as soon as the corner was left the guy's foot, foot, you knew what was coming because you could see the spaces all over the, the in our box, basically. Now, what's interesting about this goal is, I don't know if you've had a chance, I've watched the match back, actually. Was there not a lot of, pulling and pushing and blocking off. Now, why I mention this is I think the precedent set by that disallowed goal last week against Ben White, where he literally held the keeper's hand and they disallowed. Like, why is that precedent not being followed, basically, all over the place now? So now players are literally not even looking at the ball, just blocking off players and they're just like oh don't worry about that that's fine but as soon as like all this nitpicky stuff and then the next time there's no nit it's so weird you know but for us party just got absolutely caught he just got got caught sleeping and unfortunately yeah nothing we could do about that they as soon as he left the guy's foot you saw all that there was about two or three free players not it was going in basically yeah, it was stupid. I forgot to mention, and I wanted to touch on it really, really quickly, the uh, handball appeals that we had in the first half. So <laughs> the first one we had was um, the cross came in and Vieira was challenging someone and he hit the guy on his arm. So it hit like his upper arm. Um, so the rule... So I tweeted from the pod account, I don't understand the rule because it's now annoying me. Um, I've watched it, like Femi, I've watched the game back again and I watched it and watched it and dodge the handball. So it hits the guy um, between his shoulder and his elbow. And there, I think the, the rule is, if it hits you between there, which is where they say your um, shirt is, or your, um, is, then it's not handball. See, hold on, Cole. I noticed that, that player had a black undershirt on, on a, with a black kit. So you couldn't normally see where his arm was because that was Stevens that did that two or three times. And I'm thinking well, it must be hard for the referee because black kit, black under thing. They should make it that if you are going to wear an undershirt, that it's got to be a contrasting colour to the, the rest of the kit so that you can see if it's handball. I wouldn't be surprised if they did that on purpose. Probably. But so I'll come to you first. Then. I don't you've watched the game, but did you think it was handball after you've watched the game again? You know what? All those handballs just blurred into one. Um, yeah. What I'll say is, like, the worst thing about being at a football stadium is you don't have a clue. 
I'm texting like a replay. Yeah. Exactly. I'm texting the group saying, is it offside? Is it a goal? Is it a handball? Is it a penalty? Because we're just sitting there in the dark, basically. You don't know what's going on and it's it's so weird. I, I don't know if the first one is. I mean, it, it drops onto his arm. There's a couple of them, though, that were very dodgy. The Tommy Asu one, I thought, oh, that, So, we're going to that now. Um, okay. <laughs> so, the Tommy Asu penalty appeal, I still don't understand how that's not a penalty. I really do not understand. And I watched... I don't know why I do it to myself because I punish myself. I watched Ref Watch with um, on Sky Sports with Dermot Gallagher. He's a prick as well. But um, so they're saying, "Oh, we don't know who got to the ball first, whether it be Tommy Asu or the defender." I'm like, "This? What do you mean you can't tell? You have video assisted. Ref- you have cameras all weren't in the ground. You can zoom in. You can slow it down. You can see got to the ball first. And for him to say." They don't know who got to the ball first. Tommy Asu got to the ball first. The guy kicked through him, and all of a sudden, it's not a penalty. That is a blatant penalty, and I don't understand how that's not given. Like, I don't... I would love to... I, I still... I hate VAR. I hate it completely. I think we should get rid of it. I think it's yeah. the most stupidest thing ever. But I, I, I honestly don't understand. In what mind, the referee has sat there and said... Do you know what? I don't think that's a penalty. No, it's not. It's not at all. You can kick the player, and and it's fine. It's not a penalty. I, I don't get it at all. So, I think that VAR needs to change somehow. They need to come out to explain their decisions. I think you should hear what they're saying, like just to hear the justification. Because maybe they might change my mind. They might change up, say something, and I'm like, oh yeah, you're right, actually, maybe. But from where I'm saying, I'd really, I'd really also like to know is what the setup is like in that VAR studio or whatever, are the referees the ones controlling the cameras? I think I've seen a picture of it and it looks like they are. I think that's the most stupid thing ever if that's the case. they All they should be doing is sitting there making the decisions. They should get a tech expert to be doing the, the controlling the camera, zooming in, drawing the lines, all of that stuff. I really hope they have someone doing that, not the refs. Because if the refs are drawing the lines and trying to make the decisions, you can see why they don't, they get half of them wrong. And all of a sudden now, we don't even know what the bar is anymore for any decision since Howard Wedd came in. It's just all over the place. It's like, it's just haywire. Like the, the referees on the pitch are not making decisions. And now the VAR are not making any decisions either. So it's like, okay, well, no one's making the decision anymore. Because some of them, you can just see the ref can blatantly see it. It's in front of him, but he refuses to make a decision. And then he will go to VAR. And I'm like, but you were just standing there looking right at it. So it's like now we just don't we just don't know what's going on with it's just gone down the toilet since we came out from the World Cup. I think they're scared to make a wrong decision, and that's why they always refer it to VAR. Because they think that they're gonna be make the ones that they're going to be the ones to make the correct decision but you just like just make the decision on field like yeah it's, it's annoying because you just think to yourself what are you there for what are you doing and I think you're right Fem. you hit the nail on the head they should be some te- you know these kids who are technical experts who can just bring up four different camera angles straight away like bang 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 have a look at this draw the lines yet yeah, it's offside or you make the decision that's where the guy's foot is that's where that is like and yeah, I think the ref, the, maybe the, the VAR referee is probably doing a bit too much and not concentrating on making decisions rather than 
trying to get all these camera angles, which just seems really annoying. But yeah, for me, uh, the Tommy Assey one is a blatant handball. But anyway. Um, it is, Carl. Yeah. The, the commentators are watching it in real time, like the VAR people are, and the commentators get it right every time nearly, and they get it right quicker with only one or two camera angles of that the, the, they've got themselves. VAR have got it from, what, a dozen different cameras, and they can take two minutes to get it, and they still get it wrong, but the commentary people will get it right. It's ridiculous. Got a picture here of that, what I was on about. Look, the bloke in the middle, black kit, black sleeves. And that's, that, that's not the a long sleeve kit because look how close it is around the arms. That is uh, like a bodysuit um, top half thing. That shouldn't be allowed because if the, the ball hits him, how are you going to tell what part of the – and that's Stevens there. How can you tell what part of the um, the arm it's hit him? You can't, can you? It just looks like one black got the blur. same, isn't he? Yeah. There he has, but that's our bloke, so it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I understand, but it's what you're gonna do. At the end of the day, the um, I just feel like the the video assistant referees are nonsense, and that just goes back to the shit that um, Lee Mason done, and look where he is right now. Hopefully, um, shoving in shit somewhere in Manchester because that's where he comes from, isn't he? Um, so uh, let's talk about our goal, the first one, the comeback, the um. Who was it? Uh, it was Partey, wasn't it? Yeah, Partey's yes. goal. Um, so he scores, you know, I think, isn't it from a corner on the back post? And then he kind of heads it in. Um, and, you know, we get the, the fight back starts. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to be very honest. As soon as that goal went in, I sat back in my chair at work and I said, we're going to win this. I don't know why. I just had that feeling because... 2-0 is a very dangerous scoreline. And I feel that Bournemouth, as soon as we scored, I think they knew as well. I think they knew that we were coming for them. And the literal, you know, it was going to be an onslaught from Arsenal because all we was going to do is attack, attack, attack. And that's what we did. And, you know, it was an onslaught because we just literally kept going. What I noticed, and Femi, you might as well, I feel like the grounds... The, the, the fans got louder when the first goal went in because we were literally charging. Now, I remember like, in, having it in my ear and just hearing them chant Arsenal, Arsenal, Arsenal and come on. And I felt like that definitely gives the, the players a little bit of a boost. Sorry, for yeah. you. No, 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 God. Um, yeah, it's... You know what? I, I, I thought the same as you. I thought if we get a goal before... What, what minute did we score? I, I just thought, you know what? If we can get an equaliser before 75, we've got 15 minutes to just pile on pressure on them. And, you know, that's enough time. So if you're getting a goal quite early, straight, you know, pretty much not long after they scored, then you give yourself a massive chance from that point, basically. So, okay, we get a, a goal. It was a, a good goal as well. Um, I didn't even know um, ESR was the... Um, the assister of that goal, so master stroke of a substitution again from Arteta in this match. Every single one of his subs had something to do with the game, basically, with all the, the goals that we scored. So, yeah, ESR, um, I thought he played all right. He's he seemed to he definitely is very, very rusty, but 
I don't know. His game is very suited to the transition. I don't know if you guys agree with that. Like he's more like if we're counter attacking. He's absolutely brilliant for that. I don't know about him against low block teams. Um, the Urzels about him. You're not going to rely on him for defence. Oh no, no, no! Of course not. <laughs> but uh, but saying that, I mean, it's interesting that there was reports that he's going to drop into midfield at some point. So, but yeah, he he gave a good assist. I was dreading that he was offside, but obviously that's me sitting on the other end of the stadium. <laughs> you, you just don't know these days. But yeah, no, it was a it was a good goal and a good time to score as well. And um, party played actually really well, especially on those in the second half on those breakaways that they had, he snuffed out so many of those breakaways, just stopped them dead in the tracks, you know, even before the players got to Gabriel or, or Saliba as well. I mean, yeah. And then we saw a substitution from Arsenal. We saw a substitute get substituted. So Emil Smith-Rowe came on <clears throat> in the first half for Leandro Trossard and then he came off for... Reese Nelson. When I first saw, I thought he was injured because I thought, what the hell's happened here? But apparently, obviously, Emerson Fro just come back from injury. So, you know, it's hard for him to play such minutes. And apparently, he's not injured. He literally just came off because, you know, he was tired and he was getting back into the game. So, uh, Reese Nelson came onto the football pitch. And within a minute, he had an assist for Ben White, Danny. When he saw Reese Nelson come on the football pitch, what was your initial thoughts, honestly? Of Reese Nelson coming on? Mm-hmm. He's one of the Hale End boys. He's one of our own. I've been saying, been um, going on about him and Smithrow and Saka and Willock for, for for years, and even Eddie, going on about how great they are and how much they should be included. And I thought, well, he's going to do it. He came on against Nottingham Forest, two goals, and he got an assist in that game. And then it, people were lauding him, and then, as usual, he got an injury because his career has been plagued by injuries, the poor bloke. And I thought, well, he's going to come on. He's going to do something. And um, Smith Rowe is, is uh, what, this wasn't planned. He'd only had a half a match against it for the under 21s. They lost 1 0 at Chelsea in, in midweek. And I thought, well, he's, uh, Nelson is back. Brilliant. It's another uh, young attacking um, play. He can play on either side, he can play behind the side. I mean, Smith Rowe, Saka, uh, and Nelson, all basically the same player. And Martinelli play either wing. They can play behind the striker and at a push, they could probably play out front. That's why we are so blessed with having magnificent young men like that. And I expected them to come on, come on and, and do something. I didn't think he'd do what he did, but um, like you said, he came on in the 68th minute. And then in the 69th minute, a break down the left, Zinchenko to Nelson. Nelson crosses it for White to uh, bang it over his right foot. And Neto parried it out and VAR set a goal. And luckily, VAR saved us. But just before that, Cole, Neto finally got booked for time-wasting a couple of minutes before that. And then, then he does that because Neto was at fault for the party goal, wasn't it? He? he punched it out and then he got booked and then he didn't manage to get the ball to stop it going in the net and he, he hooked it out, but it, was, it had already gone in, the VAR showed. And then my, my um, notes from the game says, a goal and two assists from the subs, magnificent. Because how many times this season, Carla, we moaned, or we, not moaned, we pointed out that Arteta really isn't, magnificent at, at his substitutions he's making them a little bit wrong a little bit late because we saw for years with with, with Wenger 
And no matter what the score, 76th minute, on comes Coquelin. We go, well, if we're losing, why are you bringing on Coquelin? Why, why are you doing that? And Arteta seems to be evolving as a manager as we're watching him game by game. And for like you were saying, Fem, for, for him to those substitutes to all come on and, and turn the game. And that's not the first time. Like we're in the Nottingham Forest game, he brings on a substitute, gets a couple of goals. He's been doing it quite a few times this season. It's just brilliant. But fantastic goal and VAR saved our asses then because that wouldn't have been VAR. That wouldn't have counted as a goal unless they'd have had the in-ball technology, which is very rarely wrong. Yeah, so it was it was the um, the goal line technology. I think the referee's wrist was uh, started yeah. buzzing, and then it went off. So, yeah, thank God for that. I mean, Reese Nelson coming on, getting that goal, and Ben White getting his first goal for Arsenal. You know, just magnificent. That's what we need. And you know, you go in and it's two-two, and then you really do start to believe because you're thinking to yourself. Hold on a second. Um, it's 2-2. Can we really get all... Can we have enough time to get a goal? And like Femi said, if you get a goal before the 75th minute, you're now thinking, right, we can do this. And um, the time wasting, I just want to... Oh, I just think it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. That says it all. <laughs> listen, Seriously, it, listen. it must be... Oh my God frustrating in the ground as well. I've been to a few games. I went to, what game did I go to where I just, I think I lost it with a time wasting because oh what pe- what players are doing now and they think they're smart. So what happens is they get an injury and the first thing they do, they go down, hit their head and the referee has, or sorry, they don't hit their head, they grab their head. So the referee thinks there's a head injury and he has, and they go down and the referee has to stop it. And then it's like 30, 40, there's like a minute that's wasted and the physios come on, they're probably saying, stay down, stay down, stay down. They're doing that fake neck movement where they move to the head to the left, head to the right, move it up, move it down. Nothing's wrong with them. And then they go on and it's a minute wasted. I think that should all... And I know there was an IFAB meeting, wasn't there, this week, I believe. And they're saying that now they're clamping down on time wasting and they want to have a count-up clock in the ground. Whether that will happen, I very much doubt it. But... Hopefully they do crack down on time wasting because we saw it in the World Cup when there was like six, seven, eight minutes of injury time because of the time wasting. And I'm all for that. I genuinely am because team that will stop a lot of teams. I mean, do you remember Man City when we played them in the league? And from the 28th minute, they were time wasting. It, it, it's just ridiculous what they do. And, and you know, Bournemouth were no different. They were time wasting from... From when they scored in the first minute, they were just time-wasting, grabbing onto the ball, going down, grabbing their heads, faking injury. It was just ridiculous. I feel, I want to know, and probably I need to look this up, whether there is a rule for goalkeepers on this eight-second rule. I don't know if that's gone out the window because I feel like it's not enforced at all. That's definitely gone out the window. (laughs) Listen, the, see the time wasting in football. What I wonder is, like, we, football's just not played on a, on a, like, wh- why is it that in the World Cup you get 10 minutes, 12 minutes added on? Then in the Premier League, you're getting five minutes added on. I'm like, what are we, what is going on in this league? I, your, what you just said about them saying, oh, um, they're going to clamp down on it. One of the first things I remember at the beginning of the season, the first weekend, that all the pundits were saying is, oh, yeah, they had a meeting. They're going to clamp down on 
time wasting in the Premier League because it's ruining the product. Mate, it's got 10 times worse this season. And mm. what I hate most is the referee turns his back on the goalkeeper while he's taking two minutes to take a goal kick just so he doesn't have to do anything about it. Absolutely unbelievable. This game, it was so bad that it's not even just time wasting. It's what teams are doing is breaking up play, basically, breaking up the flow. So once you start getting ahead of steam, they just go down or they just take long to take a throw in. This game was particularly just horrible because you just had um, players just doing absolute stupidity with throw-ins, rotating throw-ins. They'll leave it for the next guy or something like that. It was so bad and it couldn't have had... That's why I was so happy. This stupid Neto keeper who we were linked with quite a while ago. I don't know if you remember when is at Barcelona. We're always linked with this. Absolutely. He was so stupid that when the um, Ben White goal went in and he tried to... I don't know what he tried to do behind his line. He then went down feigning injury for about another minute. I was like, what is going on here? So we didn't even, I mean, you you could probably hear it. Like the celebrations were like just turned straight into booze because the keeper was down for a minute. And that's when the referee decided to book him after all that he'd been doing. And then after he booked, I'd love a keeper to get sent off for time wasted. That would probably send a massive message. But nope, the referees just turn their back and just pretend like it's not happening. It's like, is this really what we all pay to watch goalkeepers take flipping goal kicks for 90% of the game is what we're watching at the moment. It's, it's pathetic, man. Like they got to get a grip on it somehow. It's it's just getting it's getting worse and worse. I mean, it's, there's got to be a rule change because was Danny would probably know this better than I. Wasn't it after the 90, year of 92 that they changed the pass-back rule because of Denmark? Um that's how they won it basically every time they got the ball it was passed back to Peter Schmeichel they pick it up and time waste there and I think that's when they changed the pass back rule where the goalkeeper couldn't pick the ball up and I feel like there's got to be another rule change um, now because this, like you said the time wasting is just getting ridiculous and I think they need to enforce this whole the goalkeeper is not only allowed to have the ball in this possession for 10 well, seconds they used to seconds. have that rule didn't they it was the 12 second rule they had that about 10 years ago and the goalkeeper was only there. First of all, they had the number of steps rule that you were allowed to take with a goalkeeper. And we had the crowd to go one, two, and count along. I think it was maybe eight steps. And then it was another one of those rules that they brought in at the beginning of the season, The how long the goalkeeper could hold it for. And then after about five or six games, they stopped bothering to count it. But it's ridiculous. And talking about the time-wasting, um, but they were on an attack and one of their players went down in our area. And I mean, in their area. In their area, and, yeah. Yeah, and they carried on going, <laughs> and then we we got on the counter attack, and then they're going, "Oh no, stop the game! Stop the game! Our player's dead." I think you cheating fuckers. But it happened last night, and I didn't know this until I was listening to the um, the AC Jimbo pod. After a Premier League goal, you add one minute of um, in of extra time, and after every substitution, it's thirty seconds. This is what yeah. they said on the pod. 
So last night in the 7-0 Liverpool Man United, in the second half, there was 10 subs, which is five minutes, and there were six goals, which is six minutes. There should have been a minimum of 11 minutes. Yeah, bit, and then, then we then we saw with um, uh, Penandes, where they scored the goal. He went in the goal, picked the ball up, wouldn't give it back to him. They're pulling and shoving at the ball. And then they finally got the ball off him. And then he grabbed his face and then went down. The referee just looked at him and walked off. It's because you you know you're going to be they're gonna, no one's going to do anything about it. It's ridiculous, and they yeah. are like you're saying, Carl. That IFAB thing, they really need to bring that in because people like you, Fair and Carl, are going to games. You're paying good hard-earned money, and you're getting what fifty minutes worth of play. But the referee yeah, should go it, right. It, we're going to they we're need gonna to t- take the clock away from the refs as well. Like, have it, have it as a display. Yeah, or or get independent person on the clock to even even i mean i get why they don't want to do the whole ball goes out of play thing because that will just <laughs> two hours three hours yeah it's, it's not even that then they're, they're talking about changing the game to 60 minutes and i don't want to start doing all that rubbish just do it like oh, they no, did no, in no. the world do it like they yeah, did just in the add world it, just add the time. Take, take the clock away from the ref so that there's not and just put someone independent on the clock basically and just literally show just show us okay this time is being added on because maybe it will just stop all this stupid like that's going on because no one is the, the premier league has just decided that we just can't control it so it's just getting like ever and now managers are actually starting to complain about it now because teams are picked up to newcastle who just are the kings of it and it's like, okay, but every team, especially against us, every team is doing it. When Man City are doing it against you, you know that they think it's a tactic. It's a tactic. It's a new tactic of trying to stop Arsenal as well. It's just ridiculous. And let's hope that this IFAB uh, rule does come in and they do do something about it for this. I think this season probably a write-off, but next season they have an actual rule where you know it, it comes in and referees are told to enforce it. Um, but the time-wasting, again, to Bournemouth, it it worked in Arsenal's favour. So everyone's talking about the time added on in extra time, sorry, in added on time. So it was six minutes of uh, added on time, injury time, that the referee put up and, okay, that's cool. And then one of their players goes down in their box for like a, a minute. So, rightly so, and I think it's probably the best thing the referee done all game, he added on that minute to uh, injury time because, as rightly so, they say it's a minimum of X time. So, that's what they did, and they added it on. And, you know, even that was a joke because the the player went down and you're like, for God's sake, what is wrong with you? Like, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, clearly, he's just trying to time waste, but the referee, rightly so, he added it on. Um Sinchenko has a wild, wild, wild shot and it goes out for a corner and you're thinking, okay, this is the last attack. There is, There's no way after this, the game is finished. There's not, nothing else is going to happen. It's fine. That is it. That is it. That is it. Before we talk about the goal, Femi, in the ground, was everyone praying like, after this corner? Because I felt like Everyone was sort of standing to their feet and just thinking. I was, I was sitting at, <laughs> I was sitting at um, at my desk. Um, I had my hands cupped. I was praying to God, thinking, "Come on, please, 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 please." Um, when this corner is taken, 
the corner's taken by Odegaard, kind of gets headed out and it falls to Reese Nelson. And shout out to Reese Nelson because that control was absolutely brilliant. He chesses it onto his right foot and then hits it with his left foot. And he was almost... It was slow motion, like it literally felt like slow motion, and it goes between sort of two Bournemouth players. Uh, goalkeeper tries to dive, he can't dive because literally he's got no chance of getting it, and it goes into the back of the net. And I'm not joking. So when I was watching it at work, I think there was like three of us watching it on a stream at work. And anyone who knows if you watch it on a stream, your streams at different times. Everyone's stream is at different levels. Uh, it just so happened that my stream was ahead of everyone else's stream. <laughs> now, if I was in the ground, I, I I celebrated like I was in the ground. I lost it. So I sh- in my office, my office was quiet. It was a Saturday. There was nothing happening. It was fine. I literally shouted at the top of my lungs, oh my God. And then I composed myself because I remember where I was. I was at work. I composed, I was like, oh shit, I'm at work. And then, and then literally about 10 seconds later, you heard someone else go, ah, on the other side of the room. And then someone else shouted. It was, oh, it was, it was just a thing of beating him. He was in the ground and I would have paid anything to be in that ground for me what was yeah. it like from that going in you gotta remember this is corner number 17 at this point and we've all the other corners we've just been faffing around taking short corners trying to do all these routines because i don't know why we don't swing the ball in the bots that much anymore if you notice because gabriel's not scoring as much as he used to doing we're used doing to really these, good at that yeah we're not we're not we're doing all these routines now um but yeah, and no, I it was it was absolutely crazy. Like the scenes were just just. I mean, I didn't. I'm I'm not one for filming anything, so I just just was taking. I I need to get videos actually because the guys next to me were all filming, but I just took it all in, man. It was the scenes were just, and you heard the noise as well. Have you heard some of the commentary that back? Some of the noise in the, the talk sport commentary, the five live. If you hit, I've. I mean, noise like that in the Emirates, you rarely hear that loud of a noise. I mean, there's been a few occasions that you've probably heard it. Maybe that Arsh having gold, a few of them, but you'll be shocked if you've if you've heard <laughs> if you've heard a roar that loud. I wonder what it sounded like all around the stadium because did you see it this? It felt like the whole place shook. Basically, it registered as a one point zero on the Richter scale. <laughs> The, the Department was, of Earth Science at London measured it. Yeah, it was. It was. Wow. I, I mean, you could hear it in the coming out of the commentary. What's funny? You remember what you're saying about when you were at work? There was a remember the Jorginho goal a couple of weeks ago against Villa. I was walking on uh, in Charing Cross. I was walking to the theatre, believe it or not. I was walking to go and watch Pretty Woman in the theatre. Don't ask. It was Valentine's weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I timed it, the game, and the, the, my trip to the theatre absolutely perfectly. You said that quietly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm looking around now. Yeah, I timed it absolutely perfectly that the theatre would start just as the game finished. So I was walking really slow thinking, okay, if I just... And obviously there was a lot of time added on. 
I was literally right next to the fair. Jorginho scored that, that goal. And I was walking on the street. And I goes, yes. People must have thought I was crazy on the on the street. And then I, I had to go in the in the fair. So I didn't know what the score was at the end of it. But yeah, now back to this one. The, the celebrations. Oh, my days. Like, I, and what I love about it is we've seen that in... You know, when, you, when we were watching the World Cup, like all the players, every time there was a goal in the World Cup, you see all the bears just empty onto the pitch. And and you never hardly see that in the Premier League. And it was just crazy to see it. The whole bench, the staff. I didn't even know that. I mean, what did um, what did they used to call Arteta's crew on the... Um, the on pit the, crew. Um, the pit crew was, is getting bigger, isn't it? Like there was so many coaches and... Subs and everyone, the place just emptied onto the pitch. It was crazy. And then Reese Nelson was just just there, just like, yeah, I'm all right. I'm the coolest man on the pitch. <laughs> just shows how much team unity there is when you got everyone. That little kid ran on, didn't he? We're in trouble because that kid, small child ran on and Arteta had to usher him back to wherever he came from. Yeah, someone lost their child there, in, 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 um, which is quite funny. I, I, you know, that's what football's made for. You know, imagine, yeah. I think you might have tweeted it for me, like, imagine not liking football. Like, imagine, yeah. like, you go 2 nil down at home and you come back to win 3-2. Like, that's what football's made for. The joy, the it's just brilliant. And, and the fact that, I don't know if people know this, apparently the referee... Has reported us to the FA because we yep. had so many people onto the pitch. And where was I understanding you shouldn't? It's not in the rules, and I get it. You shouldn't, and you know if you're game of emotions for fuck's it, sake. It is, it is, and you know. But sometimes you just got to think to yourself, come on, like how could you not? How could you not like celebrate and not run onto the pitch and see the team unity? And if do you know what? If they do get a fine for that, it's probably be the best fine ever paid because they'll take that. The, you know, what I mean, it's probably bought a fifty thousand pound fine. They'll probably eat that alive, and um, that's fine. I'm sure Arsenal fans will buy fifty thousand burgers in the ground. Well, actually, no, saying that's probably less than that because burgers are like seven pound in the ground. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure like Arsenal fans will probably take that fine. Um, that game took a lot, even at work, it took a lot out of me. And one thing I do want to uh, say, so obviously everyone knows quite, kind of what I do for work and we have the cameras up. So we have like Arsenal station up for the incoming traffic. So I had Fulham Broadway up because of the Chelsea game. I had Arsenal up. I had uh, Highbury Lisington up as well. And the amount of people that was flowing in to Arsenal station before the game had finished and there was... A lot. People who know Arsenal Station, they put up the barriers um, and you have to queue up and get into the ground that way. Because um, Arsenal Station is rather small and then you've got that little rat run down to the platforms. And the amount of people, and I'm talking a few thousand, were queuing up to get into Arsenal Station. And then, again, because my... I didn't realise, so I have it on all my cameras, you see everyone outside Arsenal Station that's like, celebrating, dancing, like cheering and I'm like you're cheering outside the station but you should be in the ground like I don't get this like if I had the chance if I wasn't working I would have tried my best to um get to the, the game but getting tickets at the moment is ridiculous and I'll talk to Femi about that in a second but um 
I don't understand these people that leave early, especially at 2-2. At 2-2, there is no way I'm leaving the ground. And I understand why people leave because they want to try and beat the crowds and they want to try to get away early so they don't have to queue up to get into Arsenal Station or to get into Highbury and Islington and things like that. But I just don't get... I, I At 2-2, when you fought back from 2-0 down, what makes you think that you should leave early? It's just really weird. And I probably a little bit hurt and jealous that these people, you know, can go to the game, but they choose to leave early. And it's just, I don't know, it's annoying. I don't know about you, Femi. Did the ground clear out? Did you see a lot of people sort of leave at 2-2? Yeah. Standard behaviour. Before half-time, it empties. Before full-time, it empties. It's just standard. Some people just prefer to beat the... Um, the roster of the train station usually isn't it? It is that thing yeah. at the train station. It's getting in that queue before everyone else. Basically, that's literally what um, <clears throat> what we're doing. Basically, and uh, it's it's usually you can see it a lot in the lower tiers as well. You can just see people just just flowing out. But to be fair, a lot more than usual stayed. Usually, it does empty way more than that. I think. Obviously, being a Saturday at three o'clock kind of helps as well. If it was a later game, like an evening weekday game, I think it would have been even more emptier than that. So I think that Saturday at three o'clock did help it and the expectation. I think people need to get used to the fact that this team scores late goals. <laughs> they scored late goals. Um, um, the emptying of the stadium is is is. Is weird, but like like I said, it was it was still quite a lot of people in there. Not 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 as bad as usual. So yeah, no, it was it was really good. I've been to four hundred and four games. I've got a list of every game, and only once have I ever left early. It was the thirteenth of March, nineteen ninety three. Barnet one, York City five. So I went with a West Ham fan and a QPR fan, and the QPR fan was driving. And at 5-1, we left about two or three minutes before the end because he wanted to get going. But one out of 404, I never leave early. Yeah, I've left early once as well. Um, I can't remember what game it was. It was a Champions League game. We were, it's one of, probably one of those 5-1 games. And I was just like, yeah, forget this. I was like, <laughs> I'm done with this rubbish. I left. I've stayed for some beatings at the Emirates, mate. I stayed for... The worst one, I think, was when Man City beat us 3-0. It was after the League Cup final. I don't know if you remember. We lost 3-0 to them in the League Cup final. Was that when Kevin De Bruyne scored like in the first two minutes or something like that? Yeah, they scored like Mm. two goals in the first nine minutes, basically. (laughs) And it was it was empty the stadium was empty that day because it was snowing and everyone thought the game was going to be called off my whole role was empty no one came in i was sitting there by myself it was the most coldest game i've ever been to and i just stayed for the entire 90 minutes and it was just so demoralizing that was up there with one of the worst defeats where you just thought what the hell is going on that was awesome wenger peak era of Venger out days. <laughs> Apparently, the, the earthquake, the Richter scale thing was a joke. We've been mugged off. <laughs> <laughs> um, in regards to comebacks, do you think that's probably one of the, or one of the, if not the greatest comeback? I mean, we can talk about Danny Warbeck versus Leicester, our Shavin versus Barcelona. 
Um, where um, I talk about probably uh, the FA Cup uh, final as well. Where does it rank with you, Danny, as as one of the greatest Arsenal comebacks? The FA Cup final one. We were a goal line clearance by I think Kieran Gibbs from being three 0 down against uh, Hull. Um, mm. To come back from that and do what we did was not much can beat that. But over the years, we've uh, because Wenger was a, pretty much a bottler when it comes to tactics and a lot of stuff in the second half of his, his time at Arsenal. First half unmatchable. Second half bottlers and with with squad full of bottlers. And just sometimes we just go one goal down. You could see, oh, they've given up. We need a goal, bring on Coquelin. Or, or bring on one of his little favourites that would never, then and is probably now playing at a conference south side and did that all the time. Um, so other than that, I can't really think of any, but I mean, Newcastle 4 4, that was a good one for them. Well, no, well, that's one of the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't there a, um, there was a game where we were 2 0 down to Villa? I think, and Cesc came on a sub, scored a, I think, did he score one or two goals? We came back to win 3-2 and then he went off injured again. <laughs> and yes. there, was a, there was an Henri one as well against Villa where we were 2-0 down. But in terms of importance, definitely that FA Cup game, that was the first trophy for like eight years as well, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, we No one expected us to be 2-0 down there and I think because the the way the goals were was a bit. I think it's that's why this one was different because that one was more spread out, wasn't it? Because we won in extra time, whereas this one, like three goals in 30, 20 something minutes, basically when you're two 0 down, it's pretty special to be honest with you. And it, I'm sure it would. It's. I really just hope that you know it's it's for me now. It's like draw a line under it. I don't want us to be overly tired from it emotionally just draw a line under it it happened we'll, we'll, we'll think about it at the end of the season basically we just got too much to play for to, to get stupid like Man United did where you get too emotionally involved and like they won the League Cup and then they just absolutely burn themselves out for the, the next game I think we have to and I think Arteta will do that I think he'll say guys that was great we, you know we've done really well that's it game's finished now we look forward now. We don't worry about what we did. That's it. And I'm sure Arteta will be saying that to them, definitely, just to keep their feet grounded. Because, like you said, he was emotionally draining. It was. Because even being at work and just... I remember sitting there thinking that I'm out of breath and I ain't kicked no ball. So <laughs> it was just ridiculous just how good and how draining it was. And you come along and then everyone's like can't wait to see much of day. I can't wait to see this. And like, you just, you really, you was, cause we're so invested in this club and everyone loves this club. Everyone loves it brilliantly. And you don't want to cause that game to be a distraction. You've got to move on and we move on to sporting. And, you know, it was brilliant. And it was something that we would talk about for the ages. The same that we still talk about the World Cup goal against Leicester. The same way we talk about um, our Shavin's goal against, um, Barcelona we you know we will talk about this and if it is a season defining moment where you know come May we are lifting the trophy we are going to talk about this game a lot more we're going to say that was a game that probably won us a trophy that was a game where we knew we was brilliant and we came back and if it's not then you know so be it but just want to get your thoughts quickly before we, we move on from this game um, Danny 
Do you think we're going to win it? Do you, do you now believe that we've got a chance? Are you cautiously optimistic? Are you bang 100% that we're going to win this or otherwise? Uh, Man City still got FA Cup games, haven't they? So we're all of our midweeks, we've got no more Premier League games midweeks. They're all on Sunday. Sunday games are uh, a lot more relaxed because they're not going to put you on at 8 o'clock at night, are they? Uh, there might be a few early ones. But I'm just looking for Man City. They've still got, I mean, in the next, they've got Crystal Palace at home, away, and then they've got Leipzig at home, and then they've got Burnley in the FA Cup, which they're definitely going to win. And then they've already, they've already having some of their games postponed because of the fixture congestion. Meanwhile, we're only in one competition and a, a Europa League, which if we get knocked out, that wouldn't really be bothered because we were banking on the Europa League so that we could get into the Champions League next season. That doesn't matter. Uh, I wouldn't be. Not that managers deliberately go and do stuff to get kicked out of, to, or to deliberately lose in a cup tournament. A few times it's happened, but if we if we got knocked out against Sporting, just think we've only got thirteen games, 12, 12 games left to go for the season. After that, if we lose to them, how easy would that be? Meanwhile, they're still FA Cup and Champions League, and they're playing really tough teams in the Champions League. Yeah, I mean, even if we 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 went all the way to the final in the Europa League, I still think we could still do it. Yeah, I'm still very confident because we've shown against Aston Villa and we've shown against um, against Bournemouth. Even when we're down, we've still come back and we we never, ever give up. And that is a sign of, of a good team and the team unity we've got. And we've seen like with, with Fernandes for, for Man United where he was want, making the, the, he's the captain and he wanted to be subbed off because they were losing. That kind of stuff. You'd never see that at Arsenal. All those people who used to do that, they're all gone. Everybody is... Is is together at the club. No one gets substituted off and has got the hump, have they? They 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 go and give whoever's coming on a hug, and then they they go and sit in the thing. No one's doing a uh, um, throwing their shirt off at, at somebody as, as they leave, like like Xhaka once did. All that stuff's in the past. They um, unity. That's what we've got, and that's what's going to win, is it? Yeah. And we've got a run of decent games at the moment where we can win maybe five or six in a row. I can't remember what the run what the run of games is. April's uh, not looking nice, I'm not gonna lie to you. April looks Well you know the one thing I'll say is this last season when we were chasing top four, we all sat here, even on on this podcast, and mm-hmm. we were making oh yeah, we went through the games. Oh there's ten games to go. Oh this is gonna happen. That's gonna happen. Oh yeah, this will happen here, this will happen here. Mm, it never really works out that way so i don't it doesn't really matter whether you're um playing good teams bad teams it i i i really think taking it one game at a time sounds really cliche but i think that just taught us um (laughs) definitely um (laughs) that it doesn't like we just looked at the fixtures we said okay we've only got this team that team this and then we lost the palace brighton and southampton all in one (laughs) goal You know, so for me, I don't look, I just look at each game now and just say, okay, we've got some tough away games, like really tough, uh, Liverpool, City, etc., etc. And at home, we've got some straightforward games, but as we saw on Saturday, you just never know, like when it gets, especially when it gets to these teams who are then going to get desperate, a lot of them are changing their managers. West Ham probably won't have Moyes by the time we play them. Like, it, there's so many variables, man, in this league. And it's just literally, ju- we just have to look at each game and say, okay, Fulham's going to be tough. 
So what's going on there? And the, the only thing I'll say about the Europa League is, I get it, but do you think we're going to win the Champions League next season, like, or, or anytime soon? Like, that's just me being honest. And if we're not, then when last did we win a European trophy? Like nineteen ninety-three, is it? Yeah, 93, 94, Cup Winners Cup. Yeah, so why can't we try and win? Yeah, but is that more important than winning the Premier League? It's not, is it? Well, that, that's the dilemma, I guess, and that's probably what Arteta will be thinking. He, you know Arteta, he rarely rests players as well, so he's probably having sleepless nights thinking, what do I do, what do I do, do I go for it, do I leave this it, is, you know? This is the reason why, I mean, we could talk about sporting now, but I don't think that we're going to see wholesale changes against Sporting. Arteta does not heavily rotate at all. So I think the people that you think are going to sit out, I think you'll see quite you'll see quite a strong team against Sporting, 100%. I mean, maybe QVR comes in for... Um, like you're not going to see a back, uh, centre-back pairing of QVR and Holding. That's not going to happen. So if QVR does come in, you, you are looking at William Saliba playing. It, um, maybe Tommy Yasu comes in, maybe Kieran Tierney plays. Um, you know, does Xhaka play? I think if he didn't play in midweek, he's going to play against uh, Sporting. Maybe you may put Vieira in the Odegaard hole. We At the moment, we technically don't have a striker. So, you know, it's a key of who plays up front. Is Trossard, if Trossard doesn't make it, then you're talking about Martinelli having to play up front. And then you're thinking, on the left, who comes in? Do you then put Reese Nelson as he start? Because there's a possibility that Reese Nelson can start because it's either Reese Nelson or you're thinking of um, ESR starting. One of the two are going to start because if Trossard doesn't make it, then we have no one to play on the left. Unless you do play Odegaard and then play Vieira on the left. So... I don't feel like we're going to have a really strong issues. So I don't feel like we're going to have a weak team in the slightest. So, you know, it's... I think the people who think that we're going to be heavily rotated, it's not going to happen. We're not going to be heavily rotated in the slightest. Well, we've um, I'm, six. I'm... Go on. So, Danny. We've played six Europa League games so far this season. Eddie played six, Tyranny six, Vieira six, Lokonga six, Holding six, uh, Tommy Ashu four plus two subs, Gabriel four plus one subs, Xhaka four plus one, Turner four. I was looking at some of the names. I mean, Nelson's played two plus two subs. Marquinhos has played two plus one sub. Um, Elneny's out. Party's only played four subs. Zinchenko's played one as sub. So most of the players that are playing regularly, like Tierney, Vieira, Holding, Lakonga, Tommy Ashu, they've all started all the other games and Turner. So is he going to change his mind on that? But look who we was playing. Like <laughs> we was playing the cannon for the a decent side. Yeah, that was the only ones. The yeah. others, like we could. I think there will be changes. We're playing Sunday against Fulham, and Fulham lost last night. I think they lost two one or three two or three one to to Brentford. Brentford haven't lost a Premier League game since October, by the way, and uh, so Fulham lost that. So Fulham are a decent side, but I think he might want to rest some of them because we are now playing Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, aren't we? Yeah, I, I don't. I just don't think. I feel like when he heavily rotates, 
that's when we kind of lose our way. So I think we'll see what happens you know, against Sporting because, you know, like Femi says, I think it's a game that we should go out to win and we do want to win a European trophy. And I mean this respectfully, there's not many strong teams in that Europa League who I fear in the slightest. There's no one who I'm looking at thinking, oh, they could be tough. Like, I feel like we've got a really good chance of winning it this season. So, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll go out, we'll try to win the game and uh, go from there. Um, I want to talk about the injuries quickly with you, Femi. So, at the moment, we're... Eddie and Ketia seem to be out, and they're talking about him coming back after the um, after the, the uh, international break. Um, Leandro Trossard, they're talking the same thing as him as well, coming back after the international break. Does it worry you? I know we've got Gabriel Jesus kind of coming back. I think probably against Sporting and against Fulham, probably a bit too early. Are you worried at all about? the injury crisis up front. Yes, I am definitely worried about the injury crisis up front. Um you I don't think Jesus will be back before the international break. I, I just don't see how he can be. He hasn't played any games for three months unless you're looking at bringing him on a sub. I they say okay if Trossard isn't that bad, I still don't see how you can have a groin um, injury and be back within two weeks. I don't think that's going to be possible. So you're basically you're basically going to have to run Martinelli into the ground in that position, and he plays it very differently to the other three. You know, he's rarely played it since Arteta's been there, and it's it's a little bit scary, man, because you can't. This is the problem where you keep getting injuries in one position. It's not like you can say, "Oh, let's just let's just." pack our team with stri- another striker. You can't have four strikers in your squad when you only play one more game. So it's just very, very unlucky. And this is one of the things, man, that could absolutely kill us, which is injuries. And it's um, it's very hard, you know, to, to, to see these things happen, um, especially in a random fashion that it happened with... Um, with Trossard chasing back, basically, to <laughs> your strikers chasing back to uh, on a breakaway, and he, he pulls his groin. Um, Jesus coming back, they said that he was probably just going to be taken for the training purposes. By the way, he was when they were talking about the game the other day, after every single game, especially the ones that we win, it's always him and El Nenny are the ones that stand at the edge of the pitch and clap every player off until every and they, they high five every single player before they go off every game and it's been like that for a while actually especially on any other he comes to every game basically and he, he literally stands out of the pitch and claps everyone off but um I don't know man these, these I don't what else can you do up front apart from Pay Martinelli I, I can't, he, he keeps talking about ESR can play there but I just don't see that at all personally we tried that in one game and it went horribly wrong. Man City won Maybe. the league without having anyone up front, really, didn't they? I mean, if you've got those players, and like we've seen with, since we've got Trossard, Trossard and Martinelli swapping positions all the way through the game, 
that yeah. just causes havoc because they don't know if they're both running at goal they don't know i mean the underlap the overlap more stuff that i don't understand it's like formula one yeah, early but the, stuff, the thing with trossard it. is he's he's actually got experience of playing up front i think yeah he's good when we i think when you looked at his thing for brian he had played just equal amount of games on the left as up front this season basically um so where you got players like esr trying to do that it's I mean, he did it once against Villarreal away, and it was terrible. It was horrible, that game. So I don't see how what else you can do but play Martinelli. And at the moment, you know, you would think that he needs to be taken out of One player that definitely needs to be taken out of the firing line is Bukayo Saka. I'm still trying to get the, the stats on his, um, his, total, his consecutive games in the Premier League. I think it should be near 70 at the moment. <laughs> 70 can say that he hasn't missed a game basically. He just needs you don't always have to play him, man. He needs to he needs to be taken out of the firing line. My issue is he, I just I would love Arteta to sub him more. And I'm talking about 75 minutes, bring him off, and he brings him off like with like five minutes ago. And it's annoying because you just you do want him because he, he's so good and he's so he is he's precious to us. You don't, and the man he gets kicked, you just want to t- take him off, wrap him up in cotton wool. 75 minutes, 70th minute, yep, game's finished, again, we won it, bring him off and just rest him. And I wish that would happen more. But do you know what? Arteta gets paid a lot of money uh, to sort out problems like this, and this is what happens. And hopefully after the international break, we do have... Um, you know, the strikers back, we do have Eddie back, we do have... Trossard back, we do have Gabriel Jesus back and, you know, then Arteta has a good problem to have rather than um, a bad problem. Um, Danny, we'll be going for like an hour and 20 minutes, so should we go on to listeners' questions unless there's anything else you want to discuss? I'm just looking and waiting for my fucking internet to work. I'm looking, wow, I'm just looking the last time Saka didn't play a game. He played every single game last season in the league he's played every single game this season in the league so add those up i'm gonna go and have a look at the season before 2021 my internet's been shit sky have let me down i'm paying for 60 meg and i'm getting 20 if i'm lucky do the page you anyone can we just i just want to talk just before you look in femi um danny femi uh, I just want to laugh at Man United for a little bit because Man United fans, I don't realise how many Man United fans I follow on Twitter. It's really weird, but they have been silent. Listen, one of my friends, shout out all that all the Man United fans who I follow, but there's a group of four in them that I follow. They listen to this podcast as well. Um, that they have been silent. And I was thinking to myself, I was sitting there and I had an argument with one of them and I was saying, our greatest rivals could never put seven past us, ever. Can you imagine Tottenham putting seven past us? It would never, not in a, never in a month for Sundays could Tottenham Hotspur put seven goals past Arsenal. It would never happen. And I, and I, and I know you can say never say never. I mean, it would never, ever happen that Tottenham would score seven past us. Could you imagine that, Femi? This is this is it. This is it. Uh, you know what? Man United are... I don't know about you, but for me, like they're just the, they're still just the enemy, man. They still get on my nerves, man. They still just, I, and their fans are. Oh, it's just, 
it couldn't have happened to a better fan base, to be honest with you. And to me, it's like, it's so funny that a week ago they were talking about winning the title and now they're 14 <laughs> points behind us. It's absolutely insane. They're only seven points ahead of Liverpool who are having their worst ever season. Equal amount of games. Absolutely unbelievable. Um, <laughs> wow, 68 games in a row. I knew it was coming up to 70. That's absolutely amazing. Um yeah, no, it's it's crazy. I, I mean, I went to the cinema and I missed. I went in when they were dominating the game and Liverpool scored and I thought, oh, let me just go and watch my film. I came out and I saw the score and I was like, no, this is, can't be serious. Well, how did this happen? Oh, yeah, I've just... <laughs> <laughs> That's Jamie Carragher doing Sky Sports tonight and he's got a can of seven up in front of him. <laughs> Just do one. <laughs> I mean, but like yeah, I no, said, crazy. It was crazy. a joke, like, and um, it couldn't happen to a nicer set of fans. Yeah, uh, because they are absolutely ridiculous. Because you know, it would never. Cause Danny, in your lifetime of watching Arsenal, I know we've had some really freak results, like the eight-two against Man United, six-one <laughs> against Man United, the six-nil against Chelsea, but. Um, <laughs> Our greatest local rivals as well. Could you imagine Tottenham trying to put seven past us? They couldn't even have seven shots on goal at the moment. Even at, even when at our very, very lowest, when we were finishing eighth in the league and they were getting to a Champions League final, they still weren't weren't smashing us. They never would. You never could. And Man United just gave up because they are now, and they often have been since the end of the Ferguson days, a team of prima donnas who think I'm playing for United. I mean, Ronaldo, um, Pinaldo and Anthony and all these other players, they're not team players. They're selfish individuals. And you never get, if you had that at Arsenal, you get shown the door and then you're now getting released by your second Turkish club for being a knob. That's what ends up <laughs> happening to you. So it's never going to happen. And uh, but the the, uh, the worst one years ago, like Loki put that he was there, uh, Man United came to Arsenal and beat us 6-2 in the League Cup in the George Graham days, probably about 80, 88, 89, 90, something like that. can't remember the exact year, but that's the um, that's one of the worst ones that, that I, I remember. And then the 8-2, well, that was just, we had a player sent off, had Jenkinson sent off. And so that's just a complete mess up. And that's when we did the trolley dash and bought Arteta and Mertesacker and Andre Santos, and uh, I think we got um, Jossie Benayoun on loan. But that we were that was peak Wenger um, bin fire at that time. But I've got yeah, I've we got were, some I mean, questions. We were regularly getting stuffed at that point by our it's Wenger's thousandth game against Chelsea. What did we lose six yeah. one or something? Yeah, yeah that's when um, regularly putting yeah. five past us at that point as well. Remember that Liverpool game that was it four one where Ox played for us and then signed for them the the week Man, after. game because of the season. Never forget that because he would have agreed before that happened. So he, while he was playing for us, he probably already signed for Liverpool. Where I don't know how Arsene Wenger put him in that that squad. No idea. I'll never forget that. that was, I was angry. Yeah, but anyway, Danny. Uh, so just some listeners' questions. Yeah, people, we've only got five questions. So if you've got any more, put them in the chat and we'll get to them. Uh, the first one from Pete Coulson for you, Femi. My crackpot theory of the day. If City win the league by two points, 
Fingers will be pointed at the PGMOL embarrassed solution. Make sure AFC don't do not get any decisions against the lose draw games. Am I right? What do you make no. of that? Yeah, I mean, we'll think it, but what are you going to do? That's the problem with with these decisions. Once they're got, you could go through every game on every season and look at some of the even games that we've won and look at some of the decisions. Just think, this is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I can't talk about referees anymore because I've just realised that it this it doesn't matter what you say, what you do. Number one, they're just a bunch of arrogant, you know, soul and souls. They don't really care. And what what's apology? I mean, they've apologised to us two or three times this year. What actually it doesn't actually make a difference. Like that doesn't you don't get the points, you you don't get the sympathy. If you lose the league, you lose the league. You know everyone's just going to say you bottled it. That's the bottom line. So I don't think any of that is going to matter because there's been so many incidents this season alone that it just make it just makes you scratch your head. You complain about it, you moan about on Twitter in your groups, but. What difference does it make? We're never going to get the points back. We're never going to get... Look how many times we've been charged by the FA. Just multiple. Everything that we do, we get charged by the FA. Here's what it is. We can all see it now. We can all feel it. We just have to go there, go out there and do it, really. Do indeed. Um, this is a silly question from Stan, who I think is joining us for the post-game show on Thursday. Um, it might even be Deke and Stan doing the show together, and I'll just produce... <gasps> I say produce, I'll press the big red button. Stan says, could Bruno Fernandez eat an apple through a letterbox? How rude, Stan. How very rude indeed. Uh, Phil Macker asked at the beginning of the show, can anyone explain, Carl, why we are being investigated for celebrating our winning goal? Uh, meanwhile, uh, Fernandez goes and shoves the referee, the, the linesman and gets away with it. Um, I can understand why we're being... I don't agree with why we're being investigated, but I understand why we are because obviously we had people run onto the pitch where we shouldn't have. And if you're not playing the game, you should not enter the game of, he's not in the field. So I understand why. However, you know, when you score a 97th minute goal to come back and you just won 3-2, like, come on. like Emotions, football is an emotional game. And I don't want them to take the emotion out of football because I feel that's what they do. I feel the FA are just full of stiff upper lip males in their thirties and forties uh, and fifties who don't want us to have any fun. And you know, it's just a, an old boys' club. It's run full of pale white men who don't know about fun. Don't know that you know people want to have fun at football. So they probably like prostitutes. I can almost guarantee they're like prostitutes. That's um, fun. Or small so, boys. <laughs> uh, allegedly, allegedly. Anyway, so, yeah, I, I just don't... So I don't understand why... You know, I can understand why, but I... Get Ian right on there. He'll fucking sort it out. Um, and as for the Fernandez thing, I don't even want to touch on that because it's just with no pun intended. But I just... Um, I think it's ridiculous that that can happen. Everyone sees it and it's fine. But like Femi said, to think talking about referee's decisions, it's just ridiculous. I don't know if you watched the Brentford Fulham game yesterday where there was a guy who was on a yellow card. Um, mm-hmm. Brentford were having a counter-attack. He brought down the guy <laughs> and then he didn't book him. Like, he stopped a counter-attack and he was saying that 
the attacking player wasn't in control of the ball or something along them lines. And you're like, mm. any other, <laughs> I mean, you know, you always apply the, the Granite Xhaka, the Arsenal factor to it. And you think to yourself, if that was <laughs> any other team or that was Arsenal, that player's getting a second yellow card. And Anthony Taylor, once again, if you haven't seen it, people go and watch it because yeah. how this guy doesn't get a second yellow card, I have no idea. Like, I feel like I don't understand the game or the rules of football anymore because it's just ridiculous. But like Femi said, I'm sick of talking about referees and their decisions. I just think it's awful. Um, got a quick one here from um, Phil Macca. says, did you see the heartwarming pick of Fabregas and uh, Jack Wilshere? Here it is. Yeah, second time. Yeah, he's doing his badges, apparently. He's at uh, Como in Italy. I think they're in the, the second tier. Mm. And Dennis Wise is the managing director and the bloke who used to own AC Milan and was the uh, Italian president he owns the club. Yeah. So lots of dodgy dealings. Lake Como, one of Fife's favourites. Yeah, he's he's been at Arsenal doing his badges, which is pretty let's see maybe he'll get a job at arsenal um apparently he's gonna retire at the end of the season it's so weird seeing sesk and jack together man (laughs) well what could have been imagine those two staying their entire career at arsenal and with no injuries yeah crazy back to back to back champions leagues crazy but yeah it's, it's, it's really good at the club anyway to Lend him a helping hand. Well, actually, talking about coaching staff, I, I mean, did you hear the rumor today about um, the German FA might looking at pair for the, one of the roles there? That would be um, that would be a huge loss if that happened. Well, we've squeezed every ounce of talent out of the under 20, 18, 21, 23s at the moment. They're shocking. The under twenty ones are in the league. The eighteens are brilliant, though. That, yeah, that but the under twenty ones are cool. awful. Yeah, because I guess all the best ones are on loan, aren't they? So. Or in the first team. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, Imagine, yeah, drop all our under 21s into the, from the first team into that team. They'll probably win the league. Question for you, Carl from Pete says Last week I asked Chris, do you think that the officials have an agenda against us? He replied, he replied no, accusing me of wearing a tinfoil hat. The patronising pirate. <laughs> sat on the toilet. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> oh, that's good me. Sorry, Chris. Um, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> sorry, I fucking lost it. Um, no, I don't think you're wearing a tin for a hat, Pete Colson. Um, do I think that they have an agenda against Arsenal specifically? No. I, I do want to say yes, but I don't because I'm sure that every club, every single club in the Premier League could have a look at refereeing decision to go against them and bring up a dossier file. We only see, you know, we're close to it because we're Arsenal. We watch every single game. We're Arsenal free and through, so we see it. Um, do I feel like decisions go against us more? Of course I do because I'm an Arsenal fan and I watched us a hell of a lot more than I watch any other club, but I'm sure every other club can. I, I would like to think that, I mean, against them, um, when we was watching, when I was watching the game against Bournemouth, I tweeted, it's either incompetence or corruption. Like there's, there's no other, obviously the heat at the moment, my head's hot and all sorts. But at a certain point, I would, I would absolutely love, and I'm telling you now, then to be a panorama expose on the, 
refereeing and them to just, oh, I'd love it. Like it'd just be brilliant if they did and just see that referees are getting paid off in England because these referees seem to think that they're better than everyone else, that they're some elite club or whatever. But I don't think that referees go out and say, we hate Arsenal. I think I do. One thing I do think is weird and Femi will agree with me. I'm sure you will, Danny. They need more diversity in refereeing. And I'm not just talking about black, white, whatever. I'm talking about the areas they come from. The fact that they all come from the same area in the North Great Manchester. London has 9 million people, 9 million people in London. And you're telling me that of those 9 million people, you can't find two or three referees. The UK has 50, is it 60 million people that live in the UK? 60 million. And of those 60 About million, that. what, 4%, 4%, 5% are... Eight. Uh, eight, uh, 8% are not white. Right. So of those 8% that are not white, you're trying to tell me you can't find one Asian, one... I think it should be more like what black, percentage one, of footballers aren't white. But That's it's not more even realistic. About, it's, but it's not just about the colour. It's not. But it's about. No, it's like, not. It's just. It's because the, the, those people. I mean, like you said last time, that there's only been one black referee, and there's. Uh, I think there's two female linesmen. That's, how can that be? If that's not fixed. Then you've got to look at it and go, well, that's not a coincidence. Because any other aspect of life, maybe I don't know about other sports, but you've got to think that's that's that will probably help stuff because it's not the um the old boys brigade, the uh the Oxbridge people. But that's that's what it is. That's what like I said to you about the how the FA is run. The FA mm. is run by male, white males in their forties and fifties who don't want to change the game because they see it as our game. And like you said, you look at the the percentage of Every club, every club apart from well, no, Burnley have changed now. But every club have got black players, have got white players, have got play, uh, Asian players, have got players, uh, Oriental players. So it, the game is different. The game, you know, they call it a global game. That's what they, that's what they call it. And the fact that it's a global game, but every single referee is white. Every ninety percent of the referees come from the north. It's just, you know, it, it's not diverse enough and. You know, there should be some female referees, like literally refereeing the game. There should be some. Um, I can't believe that there's not one, not one. The Premier League has been going on for what? What's the 29th year? 28 years? 29 yeah. years? The Premier I'm League. And like you said, there's only been one non-white referee in the whole of the 28, 29 years. It's been going on. Okay. It's, this is something it's, I wanted. To, this is something I wanted to check. I just googled it. I googled where do the where's the PGMO headquarters slash Manchester Liverpool somewhere northwest I'd imagine it's at St George's Park now Um, now I've been to St George's Park actually I stayed at St George's Park it's far from where we are basically now imagine this year if you're a young referee who wants to get to the elite or whatever and you're being told to travel to St. George's Park. Whereabouts is it? And it's in near Derby, kind of Staffordshire. Okay. So I stayed there when I went to Alton Towers, actually. It's about half an hour from Alton Towers. Uh-huh. Now, who they don't earn a lot of money unless you're the professionals. So if, you're, if the training centre is all the way up there, it kind of makes sense why you're seeing a lot of Northern refs because they can easily just just travel down there basically to 
to do more training courses or what, do, do you see what I mean? Whereas someone from the South, if you're not getting paid to that much, why would you ever, you know, travel all the way up North to do a stupid. And the courses um, aren't free, are they? It's thousands. Yeah, exactly. So, so th- these are the types of things that you'll see. Like if there's, they should have a training center down South and up North because that place is literally like in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's so far away. Like, um, I mean, it took me about four hours to get there. Imagine you're a ref and you're being told, oh, yeah, you've got to come up here and, you know, you've got to front up your own, your young referee. No, no I know I know one person who was a uh, young referee. When he got to uni, he was just like, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. Just quit and had enough. Like, <laughs> number one, he Chris couldn't Sutton's take... doing it now, isn't he? Yeah, you could, I mean, number one, you can't. they can't take the abuse. And then imagine your young, you know, <laughs> local lad getting abused you, you know you just think oh, i can't be bothered with this rubbish just get out of here so how did uriah any get it in the first place because it had been much harder 30 years ago i'd imagine why well, I, I don't know where is he from where is you where is, is he from uh down south or up north see i tried to i tried to find him i thought it would be on twitter or i thought i tried to google him and he's he's totally off the radar like if you notice, he doesn't do... You've never heard him do an interview. You've never heard him go on TV. He totally just went off the radar. Um, 2008 is when he finished. Yeah, and I can't find him anywhere. Like, you cannot find... He's from Sheffield. Like, you'd think, but you'd think that they would... He would come out and, you know, they'd interview him or he'd be some sort of pundit or sports. Nothing. Nothing at all. He just almost disappeared off the face of the earth. It's really weird, but... There you go. He's born in Sheffield, England. There you go. He's not even from the South. There's a a correlation between all these why it's all up North. There's definitely something about they just either that the, the, what's it called? The heads or the PGM, the heads of the PGM MOL, maybe because it's, it's up North, they only visit um, grassroots up north. Do you, do you see what I mean? To watch, to assess referees up north and then fast track them. Whereas you need something in the south or something, you can't just have be fast tracking referees from the region near where the training centre is. It doesn't make any sense. You might not be getting the best talent as we can see really because they're all pretty shocking as far as I'm concerned. Well, Wikipedia says he started refereeing at the age of 20. Maybe that's got something to do with it. You've got to start early to get to the top. I mean, yeah, and you, you you talk about the abuse that referees get, and if you see, I know it was, I know it wasn't like the hardest hit in the world, but you see what Fernandez done to the referee, and nothing happens. You know, what does that? What kind of signal does that send to people that you can still hit a referee and nothing happens to you? Like, I like, I totally understand. It's just That's why they're bringing in body it. cams, aren't they, in certain regions? But, yeah, but the, what what you know, professional a professional at the professional game, the highest level in England. A the captain of a football club hits a linesman and nothing happens. Mm. That just says it all. Like so, I don't know. I think something's got to change. But you know, I don't think you're going to see a change this season or anytime soon. But we do need to get back on track. We just, I think, we do need a bit more diversity. But no, I don't think uh, all referees are out to get Arsenal. Although sometimes it really does seem like it. Let's be very honest. Did you hear about the Wes Morgan? The West, I think it was Wes Morgan. It was one of the centre-backs for Leicester. He was doing one of those round-table podcast talks and he went, the referee, um, I should have got sent off. 
and the referee. Oh, Danny Simpson, yeah. Oh, I knew it was one of the centre backs, and he said, uh, "What?" He said, "I should have sent you off. But I want you to win the league." And he said, "He honestly said that to him." So whether that's true or not, I don't know. Um, Mr. Boblex makes a point. Shall we just set up a direct debit for the FA and all the fines they are giving? And the final one, um, the both of you can take it in turns. And our mate Jackasaurus, who's in the chat on Twitch, but he sent it to us via um, Twitter. How would you rank these matches with uh, one to five, with five being the lowest? Nelson v Bournemouth goal. One. Jeremy? What's the rest? Oh, I mean, I, I'm not sure if he means each one or if he, he's actually put five of them. No, if he, gives us, if he give us the five, then yeah. we can... Yeah. Um, it's probably better if I do this and then you can look at them. I'm going to put it in our chat and then highlight them like that. And it's got no punctuation at all. <laughs> so, Nelson versus Bournemouth, uh, Leicester, Welbeck versus Leicester, Arshavin versus Barcelona, Henri versus Leeds, and Ramsey versus CSK Moscow. Yeah, Ra- uh, Henri versus Leeds, that was a sentimental thing, though, wasn't it? That wasn't exactly a world class goal. <laughs> no, it was, because he hit him. Oh, Henri kind of goal, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was a good. Um, if it, yeah, if, I, I mean, with the beard, and that's it. <laughs> uh, if it's me, I'm going for. So, talking about goals, really, in it, not games. And the importance if, of the. I think yeah, because Ramsey CSK of... Moscow. Oh, I added the word game. games. It wasn't there. <laughs> oh yeah, so Ramsey versus CSK Moscow. That wasn't really an important game, but the goal was good. So I would go. Um, I'd add Iwobi against Monaco in the the. Um... Oh no! Was it against Chelsea in the Europa League final, where Wobi came on and scored one from just wellied it in from nowhere? I think it, yeah. what is we probably need to clear out the question. Is it? Yeah, you need to clear or, up whether it's goals or no, games, Danny. He, he, he said, "How would you rank these?" Uh, I think so he must, he must mean goals. I think he just means goals. So if you're talking about goals, uh, Henri versus Leeds is probably uh, five. Yeah. Ramsey, um, if it's goals, then you're talking. So Barcelona, so Henri versus Leeds is five. Warburg versus Leicester, four. Um, I don't think Ramsey was versus CSK Moscow. I think it was Fenerbahce or Galatasaray, wasn't it? I can't The remember. one where he volleyed it and um, from the edge of the box, remember? I mean, you'd have crazy to have, volley from the edge of the box. You'd have to have Giroud's um, scorpion kick. You'd have to have... Um, Van this, I'm, sure, I'm sure this is descended into, <laughs> into madness. That. I'm sure he's talking about importance of Look, games. Like, Nelson uh, versus Bournemouth was the best. Yeah, let's just yeah. say Nelson versus Bournemouth is number one. And let's just Arsh say... Arshavin, Barcelona. And then Welbeck versus Leicester. Welbeck, uh, Leicester, yeah. I don't know the rest. Oh, the rest of them is just kind of... <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, that'll do. We, we, got, we got the gist of it. <laughs> Cheers, everyone, for your questions. Yeah, geez, thank you, everyone. Thank you. Um, we have um, Sporting next uh, in the Europa League. 5.45. Good luck with that. We, we do. And then we have Fulham away in the Premier League. One o'clock. Uh, that, that One o'clock. Be, yeah. yeah, and it's not no, on TV. No, but, no, he's on TV. No, that's a lie. He's on TV, isn't it? On no. So it must be two o'clock then. No, it's on Sky. It, def- it definitely is on Sky. Oh, yeah, two, two PM, two PM kickoff. Yeah, Sky, it's on Sky. Who? Yeah, Sky again. So you get extra hour in bed, Danny. 
Oh no, the I'll, Crux I'll go back this week. I watch it in bed. The Crux go yeah, back this week, so back. no, no, no end of got... March. Oh, it is two. End of March. Is it this? Oh, okay. None of us know um, what day it is. We're falling apart, <laughs> Carl. Quick savers. We're making ourselves look silly. <laughs> right. I want to say <laughs> this has been a very good podcast. Um, Femi, thank you for coming on. Thank you very much. We'll try and get you one more often when the pirate hasn't got a poorly body. Um, Bless him. Or whatever <laughs> he's, he's doing. He's, so, he's having to use wet wipes. He's got to be, he's, de- he's a delicate man. <laughs> Definitely. Um, Danny, you have to be here as normal because this is your baby. So well, my, na- my name is on it, but none of you listen to a word I say. So isn't doesn't that kind of counteract it a little bit? What'd you say? Precisely. Oh, <laughs> look at this. Um, Jorginho caught the chasers having driving lessons. <laughs> I think that is absolutely brilliant. I mean, how long has he been in the like, country? Exactly. And you just you just know, you know what it is. Driven around. Uh, no, around you know what it is, don't you? He's probably had a Brazilian license all this time. And oh, maybe don't that's ruin his... it. Oh, okay. We've got no room for logic on this podcast, Femi, using your international license. I do just think it's funny that this guy has pulled up to London Coney. Yeah, and just like, come on, Gabrielle, let's go around um, the area. You sit with me. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's funny. And yeah, that's that's quite funny. But the fact that uh, he's learning how to drive must mean that his knees are right because he can shift um, probably an automatic. Probably, I mean, all them fancy cars are. Anyway, this has been a Burkamp one the last <laughs> podcast. Thank you very, very much for listening. Please hit that like button and whatever you are listening to this on, please hit the like, share it, whether it be Spotify, whether it be Apple Podcasts, whether it be YouTube. Please like and like and like. It is uh, greatly appreciated. Uh, I want to say thank you very much to everyone and. Come on, Arsenal, let's beat Sporting and let's beat Fulham. Hashtag fuck Ellis. I was waiting for that. As soon as I scored that goal, I was fucking livid. Get down, dog. Splendid business. You nearly caught the bloody thing. What are you talking about? So I've just eaten a full quiche. Well, you don't often see them at him. So when you see them in the supermarket, they need to be swagged, microwaved immediately and get the brown sauce on and bosh, Bob's your uncle. Never in doubt.